Oh, we got a good one for you today, folks. Let me tell you a true story about a life-changing gift, stewardship, and the investment value of antique toy soldiers. 20 years ago, uh, Cheryl and I were at Fuller Seminary in, in Pasadena, California, and we were living in a two-bedroom apartment that we could barely afford, uh, but she was working full-time running her graphic design business to support me, her grad school uh, deadbeat husband, going through seminary. And uh, as, it, as it turned out, the Lord led us to take our first call in the beautiful city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so imagine the change it is to move from sunny Southern California to the land of frozen tundra, where they have 54 days of deadly weather every year. So that was a, that was a big, big move. Uh, moving from L.A. to Minnesota. But we landed there uh, and experienced a lot of love. And I remember being picked up by Norm, uh, a member of the PNC. I remember, I can picture him right now wearing his London Fog overcoat. And Cheryl and I were in our our parkas because it was springtime in Minnesota. It was freezing. Uh, Norm was on the pastor's nominating committee. And he was also the CEO of a dairy corporation. Norm was a son of the South, the son of Tennessee, even with the last name of Rodriguez. Warm, caring. His wife Kay was the epitome of of Southern hospitality. And Norm took a, a liking to me and took time out of his busy schedule to spend time with me in those those first months uh, of ministry. He'd carve out time. We'd go out to lunch, long lunch, and he'd, he'd bring sermon notes. And here I'm just out of seminary and like trying to put together a sermon that makes some coherent sense. And here's a man who studied God's word for 40 years. And he's like, now you said this. This is interesting. It, it led me to study this. What did you mean by that? And all of his interests and care and presence, really he was mentoring me. Now Cheryl and I lived in a two-bedroom walk-up apartment in Minneapolis. Uh, that's also what, uh, what we were able to afford, and we were very thankful for it because uh, Minneapolis at, at that time was experiencing a certain uh, boom to the housing market. Anyone ever live any place where uh, the housing market's kind of gone through the roof? <laughs> and uh, members of my church would say, oh, if you had only moved here two or three years ago, this house would have been half the price. Thanks for that. Thank you. So what we could probably afford is to live 5, 10, 15 miles outside the city where I would be taking my life into my own hands. It would be like Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back trying to make it into town and survive the winter months. But we were happy and content in our, in our two-bedroom apartment. Well, one day, uh, Norm took me out to lunch and he said to me, Pete, Kay and I are going to retire and we're moving back to Nashville, Tennessee so we can be near our kids and our grandkids. I saw this coming. I thought this was going to happen. I said, Norm, what are you going to do with your retirement? He said, I think we're going to open an antique toy soldier store in Nashville. Okay. And then Norm gave me a life-changing gift. He slid across the table an envelope in the amount of $25,000 so that Cheryl and I could buy a house. I, I was speechless. He said, Pete, this is God's money. 
This is God's mind. I remember talking to my father-in-law. I called, I called mom and dad. And I remember he was concerned. Remember how concerned Lee was? I'm talking to my mother-in-law. She's in the second room. Remember how concerned dad was? Because he thought, you know, a wealthy person in church gives you that much money. They probably want something from you. There's probably some influence, something. I said, dad, no, he, they're moving to Tennessee. Cheryl and I have attempted to steward God's resources entrusted to us in the same way in the 20 years since. We've covered people's rent. We've helped set up single moms with all they need to care for their kids. Helped a couple try to adopt a child in Russia. We even were part of a, a church plant in Ethiopia. I share that not to shine light on us, but to to show what Christian stewardship is really all about. Now, stewardship sermons, if you haven't been around church for long, uh, you'll know that stewardship sermons are usually about budgets and building programs. Okay, full confession here. There's going to be a little bit about the building project that is coming up. So that's coming up soon, about what the Lord's calling us to use on this campus. But biblical stewardship, which is our theme today, stewardship God gives is about far bigger things. Knowing God gives is where faith and work and life intersect. A theology of Christian stewardship is about the meaning of life. Write that down if you're taking notes. Norm and K were the definition in our life of what it means to be following Jesus, living by faith working to make a living and making the most of life in the service of God. That's the definition of Christian stewardship. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking. Oh, well, Pastor P, I mean, you mentioned that he was a CEO, so he probably had a lot of spare money on hand. But, but I'd say the principles that I'm going to share with you this morning, and Pastor Frank would love it, there are going to be three, of Christian stewardship, they apply to every one of us here and every one of you at home. In Genesis, we see God's occupation as what? A gardener. And then in the New Testament, God, we see in Jesus Christ, is a carpenter. No job, no title, no task is, is too small to be, to be used powerfully by God. Tim Keller wrote this, too small a vessel to hold the immense dignity of work given to God. That's a good definition for stewardship as well. Work given to God. And I believe the more you know God in Jesus Christ, the more life change you experience, the better you will steward what God has entrusted to you. And the more generous you will be, and the more generous we will be as a people, knowing that God first gave us and he gave us the most precious, priceless gift. He gave us his one and only son. I wish Steve Bodwell was here. If you don't know Steve Bodwell, a uh, longtime member and sort of a living legend around here in youth ministry, and we say, hey, hey, Bodwell, how you doing? What does he say? Blessed and spoiled. Blessed and spoiled. I say amen to that. So God gives us so much. He gives us three things, three-point sermon. Here you go. He gives us resources responsibility, and rewards. Number one, God gives us resources. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
The first principle of Christian stewardship is God made everything and God owns everything. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he put Adam in a garden to work it and to take care of it. And then God created Eve and together they were called by God to be stewards of creation. That was their their vocation. They were to tend to creation and then to create more life as God intended. But after our first parents sinned, what happened? They broke covenant with God. They were alienated from even one another. And they ran and hid. And what did that produce? What did that produce? We're talking about biblical anthropology here. What did it produce? The first thing Adam and Eve produced after the fall was Cain, who was a murderer. He took the life of his brother Abel because Abel's offering to the Lord was acceptable and Cain's was not. And so I imagine some of us hearing like, oh, here it comes, a sermon about stewardship. He's going to ask for more money. We already took the offering. Here it comes. This is going to make me apprehensive. I'm already stressed. I've already got a lot to do. Now he's going to ask me to volunteer more. All those feelings, those are natural things. I I get it. I'm right there with you. I understand what you might be feeling, that little apprehension. I think it's part of our spiritual DNA back to our first parents. It's not the way it's supposed to be, to be worried about our resources, what's going to be asked of us. We want to hide behind fig leaves. It goes back to our first parents. So the the first principle of biblical stewardship is God, the owner of everything, gives us resources to manage acting on his behalf. And what resources does God give us? See, Michelle here, expecting baby number two. What resources did God give us? I want everyone, let's do a little exercise. Everybody on the count of three, hold your breath for as long as you can. Okay, one, two, three, go. Keep holding. Okay. Every breath we have, every heartbeat is a gift from God. Now, the book of Deuteronomy Moses is training up the people in the way they should go, just as we do our children, right? He's helping them understand a worldview that puts Yahweh number one in their life. And he says here in in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he lifts up two different worldviews. The first one, the implications of it, verse 17 of chapter 8. This is one worldview. It says, my power and strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That's worldview number one. That's behind door number one for non-believers. My power, my strength, my ingenuity, my hard work has produced this wealth for me. William Ernest Henley famously wrote uh, in his famous poem of Victorian age that he was the master of my own fate, captain of my soul. Biblical Christianity would say that's malarkey. Fun fact, Bill lost his leg to TP, TB, excuse me, and he wrote this as a way of explaining how he was going to overcome his disability. The one-legged Henley 
uh, inspired later Robert Louis Stevenson's character, Long John Silver, in Treasure Island. And his daughter was the inspiration of J.M. Barry's heroine in the play Peter Pan, uh, Wendy. So, the more you know. <laughs> but that's worldview number one. Ingenuity, hard work, you earn it, you deserve it. Master of my domain, that's verse 17. Look at verse 18. This is a biblical worldview. Counsels us to think otherwise. Quote, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who what? He gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's by God's grace that we have victory. Invictus. That we are unconquerable. That we are more than conquerors. We cannot give him anything that isn't already his to begin with. When Norm said, it's not my money, it's God's money. He was living this. No matter what you give of your time, your service, your money, it is ultimately, in a very real sense, you are giving it back to the Lord. First Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each has received a gift. I love Rick Warren's idea of gifts that we have, the shape of a person's life. You studied this many years ago, many moons ago, in The Purpose Driven Life. Do you remember the shape? The shape that God has given us. Rick Warren, trademark. Spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, experiences. None of those things are accidents. God knew what he was doing when he created you, and he made you all individuals. That makes you one of a kind, a masterpiece created by the master for the purposes that the Lord has called you to. One more quote from Tim Keller. He says, A job is a vocation only if someone else calls you to do it for them rather than for yourself. So our work can be called only, only our work can be called a calling only if it is reimagined as a mission of service to something beyond merely our own interests. Thinking of work mainly as a means to self-fulfillment and self-realization slowly crushes a person. The greatest tool God has given you to impact the world is your vocation. And every one of us here and everyone there has one if we take his marching orders. God cares about your job by turning it into a vocation, by turning it into something more than it's some. Your job description is to do the best to invest all of your life for God's glory. That's what the Bible teaches. Through everyday actions, whether you're employed or unemployed, whether you're a student or retired, rich or poor, wherever you are on the socioeconomic uh, spectrum, all of it, if we're called by Jesus, is to advance his kingdom. So number one, God gives us resources. Number two, God gives us responsibility as stewards to manage that which belongs to God. That word steward, it's sort of an old-fashioned word, isn't it? Steward. And someone who's a steward is someone who, who takes care of, of people and, and, and meets their needs. I don't know, a, a train or, or a ship or an airplane. You don't normally hear if someone says, oh, excuse me, stewardess, no one says that anymore, right? Unless you're a Karen, you don't, we don't talk about people that way. 
But, but biblically, men and women, we are called to be stewards. We're called to be stewardesses. We're to look after what God has entrusted to us. And the Bible says we are responsible and will help be held accountable for what we do with those resources. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Paul's talking about his apostleship here, but really applies to all of us. All of us who say, yes, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, it applies to stewards. So let me ask you a question. What is your relationship with material possessions in your control? Are you an owner of those things? Or are you a steward? Are you an owner in the way of Deuteronomy 8.17, in the way of the world? Or are you stewarding those things, using them, employing them for the service of someone else? An owner says, my material resources belong exclusively to me. A steward says, my resources belong to God, who is the owner of all things. Everything isn't ours or, 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 or yours, it's, it's mine to manage. So we, we can talk about economics another time. That could be economics 101, you know, shared resources and all those things. It's not everything's yours or mine, it's, it is mine to manage, but it comes from God. The owner says, I may use my resources, my time, my talent, however I wish. A steward gets a little head, get a little head, get a little sassy. A steward says, because of God's grace toward me, all that Jesus has done for me, I'm motivated to manage it well and to use it to advance kingdom purposes. The owner says, I'm not accountable to anyone for how I'm going to use my stuff. And a steward says, I know that I am accountable to my community, to my family, and ultimately, to God. How do you view yourself? Are you an owner? Do you own things? Do you possess them? Or are you a steward? Scripture says, our life is not our own. It was bought with a price. We are his now. It says we have been redeemed by the precious, priceless blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.18. That, that creates a motivation for obedience to no one else. Remember where Rob was preaching last week about worship? This is where worship impacts all of our life. And when we know this, when we know this good news that sets us free, it's not oppressive. It's not restrictive. It's liberating. We put ourselves wholly under Christ and all that we do, we seek to obey in every area of life. Owning things having possession of things, comparing what I own to what my neighbors own, what I can buy with my dollars compared to what they can buy with their dollars, that's not sophisticated. It's thoughtless. And it's unoriginal. It's how people have been behaving since the fall. It's ungodly. It's tired and it's way overvalued. But a life of responsibility, of stewardship, 
is a life of freedom and purpose and dignity and leaving a legacy. Today is the 21st of the month, and in eight months from now, November 21st, we will have Commitment Sunday. He's talking about the campaign here. This is what he's going to do. Here, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Three years ago now, we started with a dream and a wonder and a prayer and a question. Lord, what would you have us do with this campus to reach more people in our community? We built phase one. What about phases two, three, four, and five? The expansive plan that you laid on the hearts of those that built this place. It started in a little school across the street that turned into a big school, and now it's turned into a big church. I would very much encourage you to listen to David Miles' uh, podcast, The Pulse, this week, episode 191. Uh, he lays this out so incredibly articulately. He explains why we need to do this, what it is we're going to do, and how we're going to do it. But let me just give you a little insight. Have you noticed how fast this area is growing? Our calling is to serve more people in our community in general, and particularly more and more families, even as families are changing, even as this community is growing and growing and growing. We're blessed to have two elementary schools as neighbors. And I know for a fact one of them is getting six portables to add more classrooms because of the tremendous growth. And our preschool for years and years has served young families educate and train up little kids. And through the pandemic, have we not seen the incredible value of face-to-face care and teaching and hands-on mentoring? But now the, the need is growing. There's a huge, tremendous need for after-school programming, for, for kids whose parents are working far away, but also there are going to be many families that choose to continue to Zoom in and hybrid and, and have their kids at home. Those kids are going to need to be socialized. They're going to need to be exposed to meeting with friends and figuring out how to make sense of the world around them. And we see this as a tremendous opportunity to repurpose some of our classrooms and to build new classrooms to reach more families, to see the preschool grow as, by as much as 25%. We see these areas that we already have renovated, new ones added, that are safe, secure, and, and set up for kids. But what I love about the plan is it's multi-generational. If you're ever here on Wednesday night, let's hear for our, our youth there in the room. Uh, if you're here. They've moved now into the sanctuary, and they're going to continue to be in the sanctuary. But I'll tell you folks, if you're here on Wednesday night, they're all over the place. I mean, they use every nook and cranny of this place to meet together with their small group leaders. We need to change storage rooms where we keep the TP into rooms for Bible study. So we're going to move the offices to a new third floor right above my head here. And we're going to expand space. We're going to add classrooms. Spaces used for, for Bible study for adults as well. Young adults, older adults, BSF. How many of us miss having community meals every Friday night? The tremendous opportunity is right in front of us. It's a very, very exciting time to see what God's going to do. Part of the plan that I'm, I'm very excited about, right over here-ish, there's going to be something called the Great Room, a special place that's a sacred space designed for much larger gatherings, for weddings, for memorials. It's all in front of us. That's, 
why we're doing it, what we're doing, how will we do it? Eight months from now, we're trusting in faith that the Lord has a plan. That by God's grace, we will pay off our old debts, we will renovate our existing building, and we will raise two and a half times our annual budget to invest in the future, the 2020 to 2025 We Are Family vision plan. God has us. He has us on plan and a vocation as this area grows. I see an area, and I have some of our prayer partners reminding me of this as they see this as well. It's as if this is higher ground for some who are sort of in the rat race and in the struggle to make ends meet in this community. But this campus will be that higher ground for many, many people in our community. God gives us resources. He gives us responsibilities. Eight months, eight months of planning, more communication with the congregation, questions and answers, considerations, plans being made. And number three, God gives us rewards. God gives us rewards. How many rewards cards do you have on your keychain? You got one for Fred Meyer and Safeway? What else? You used to have a clicker one for frozen yogurt. I'd always lose it right before I got my 10th yogurt. Like, I want my free yogurt. God's rewards are way better than free yogurt. We are blessed to be a blessing. God blesses us with these resources so that we can bless the world with the saving knowledge of God. How amazing this morning that we had our missionaries that raised their family here have now moved to Indiana. And what an amazing thing. We talked about the hybrid model. Can you catch what he said? Well, we would normally in our ministry reach 3,000, but because of the pandemic and all the shifting around, how many, many times more have they reached? Look at this passage. Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a, what? Reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Jesus talks about rewards. He has the kingdom parables. And in your Bible studies this week, you'll look at one of those parables, the one recorded in Matthew 25. And, and we see the master's resources doled out. And just a little uh, thought about that. He gives one servant ten. He gives another five. How many does he give the last one? One. Do you think the master kind knew what that final servant might end up doing with that one talent? Do you think he he had a pretty good clue as to how that would go down? The master knew. We all want to hear this from the master one day. Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will now put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Back in June of 2019, we we had set course for this plan that we're going to be introducing that fall. So just think of the years that have come and gone as this has come together. And in June of 2019, I got to noticing our neighbor next door uh, was doing a lot of of work with heavy machinery on his upper meadow. And I'd never met the man. So I thought, well, I want to introduce myself to him. Get to know our neighbor, right? He has eight acres next, next door. So I wrote him a letter. I didn't hear anything for six weeks. 
Meantime, I met with uh, some of our leadership, and they said, you know, God's vision for what is happening here could be bigger, Pastor Pete, than what we're talking about. It could be bigger still. What could be bigger than reaching more families? The, you know what the elder said? Reaching more families. What if someday the Lord would have us use that land? What if, what if that could be? What if? What if? Like, oh gosh, what have I got myself into? I'm usually the cheerleader around here. Uh, other churches, and now I'm like, whoa, whoa, that's too big of a vision. But I thought, well, maybe I should find out what, what I should say if this person actually calls me up. And I got some good counsel. They said, yeah, well, you know, when you are interested in property, you offer earnest money. You kind of come up with an agreement, right? You draw up some, some plan that you could someday, when it comes available, that you'll purchase it. And I'm like, okay, I guess that's how it's done. And, well, six, months, six weeks went by, and our neighbor contacted me for lunch. It turns out, some of you know him, uh, he knew me from the advertisements uh, since I got here, but he also knew us because he loves the community meals on Friday night. He was welcomed by, by one of our volunteers when he came in to meet with me. We sat down to talk. We found out that we had a few things in common. Most importantly, that we follow the same Jesus. And I just started to open up and share about what God's putting on our heart of what I've just shared with you, what we've been talking about for the past three years now. And I'm realizing I'm getting kind of all over the place. I'm not explaining it very clearly. I'm not super articulate when it's like one-on-one and here's this person. And I'm not trying to convince you to sell this property to me, but maybe someday if there could be possible, but I'm not sure what we would do with it, but I guess I could figure it out. I actually don't have the, I haven't been given clearance by the elders to even have this conversation to offer you money, but they kind of say, go ahead and figure it out. Like, so I'm, verbally processing with you, which I should probably stop because uh, we're on live stream. <laughs> he cut through all that by saying, this land is for the kingdom. And I'd be, I'd be pleased someday when I retire to give it to the church. And we shook hands on it. We don't really do that anymore, do we? But you see, when you're born again, if you believe in what it means in Scripture of being born again, that God transforms your heart, that's a miracle. The Bible says that God, God reaches spiritually into your chest and pulls out a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. It says the Holy Spirit moves in and transforms the person. Are these just things that we say on Sunday? Or do we believe it? That nothing is impossible. That's what we sing on Sunday. But do we believe it? A testimony of grace isn't about what we do, our accomplishments, what we've earned, what we can afford. It's all about the indwelt power of the Holy Spirit of God alive in us to love and to be empowered as, as his agents in the world. My friend, stewardship goes beyond church budgets and, and building plans. It connects everything we do with everything God is doing. So what about rewards? What are we talking about here, Pastor Pete? So I, I'm talking about Raising our faith, not fundraising. <laughs> but what are we talking about here? You see, the Bible links godly justice 
with doing good. It doesn't define justice in any other way than doing good. Listen to this, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We didn't need someone who was born 15 years ago to help us define what justice is. It's in God's word. 1 Peter 2, 11. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. For it is God who will, for it is God that by doing good, you should silence the talk of foolish people. Folks, we're to do good. But what's the reward? What reward is there in doing good and serving other people? What's the reward in knowing God more deeply? What good is it to be transformed by God's Holy Spirit to become more loving and peaceful just and wise as God's redeemed people. What's the reward? What's in it for us in promoting a social and economic environment around us in this community that leads to more freedom to be who God has created each of us to be, to be part of a program that promotes human flourishing, for the haves and the have-nots, to reflect the inherent dignity of every human life. Well, what's the reward in that? What's rewarding? What's the value? What's the price tag you can put on being used by God to alleviate poverty? What's the value you could put on a person's life that directing them from such a young age into a healthy, safe family environment that might keep them out of prison, out of incarceration, and into a life of flourishing. What's the value of that? What's the reward in training up the next generation with a biblical view of stewardship, work, economics, their own self-value, their own purposes? What, What value is given by God to those who covenant together to meaningfully participate, witness, co-labor as future heirs in God's plan to restore the world as he intended it. What's the value in that, people? What's the return on that investment? I called Norm and Kay at Christmas time, as I have almost every Christmas time, to see how they're doing. They've now moved into a planned community where they can live independently, but where there's long-term care as Kay and Norm say their long goodbye. All these 20 years, he's had a toy store. But he's used those 20 years of retirement also every week to go into the city to mentor young men without fathers and without much hope. Hobby business, antique, tin soldiers. It's just means to an end. It's all about relationship with Norm. He has that storefront so people will come in and he can get to know people and have a shared interest. Put a smile on someone's face. So it's not about collecting toys. It's about people. It's about connecting 
Norm is one of the richest people I've ever had the pleasure to know. I thanked him again for the money because that house that was seven minutes from church in Minneapolis, when we sold it, we were able to buy our next house in Maryland that was about seven minutes from the church so I could be there to minister that led to us to be able to buy this very, very expensive house in Maple Valley (laughs) so we could be near you too. Rob, why don't you come on out and let's pray. Oh, that we would know you more, Lord. That we would be still. Some of us are struggling with figuring things out, Lord God. May that scripture be still and know that I am God be true for us. Thank you, God, for your resources, responsibility, rewards. You forever changed our life with your gift of grace. May we be good stewards, Lord. May we invest in the kingdom. May we leave a legacy, Lord God, until you make all things new and bring heaven to earth. Amen.